look for the intersections. I think it's really hard to become an expert in one thing. Typically, there are people who have been in that space forever. They kind of know the lay of the land, and it may be intimidating enough that you feel dissuaded from pursuing that, even if you think it's a strength of yours. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on episode 600 of Smashing the Plateau, we have a special treat. I'm joined by Chris Weller, who was on our team back in 2014 when we launched Smashing the Plateau. On this milestone 600th episode of Smashing the Plateau, Chris and I discuss how we got started. We also answer common questions that we hear about podcasting and content creation, such as, why did you launch a podcast? How'd you get the podcast started? How have you produced so many episodes? If you've thought about creating a podcast or other content channel, or if you are a creator and you want to learn some tips to improve your content creation process, you'll want to hear my conversation with Chris. Stay with us to hear all the details. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. We've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Now let's welcome Chris Weller. Chris is an award-winning storytelling expert. He's the co-creator and producer of the Netflix original documentary, Spelling the Dream, an Ironman triathlete, and a crossword puzzle aficionado. He is currently a senior editor at Insider, overseeing coverage that explores the human side of work and business. So Chris, it's great to have you on the show. You were here at the beginning. You were actually here before the beginning. I checked um, our records and realized that you joined our team back in at the beginning of 2012. It's almost a decade ago. It's crazy. It is really crazy. It's hard to believe. I think you were at 35 Broad. Yes. We hold on. We were at uh, yeah 55 Broad Street. 55 Broad Street, which was one of the first co-working spaces in New York. Who knew that co-working was going to become a thing? <laughs> Who knew that podcasting was going to become a thing? Yeah, you're such a visionary. Honestly, it's. Um, I think totally by accident in in both cases. But um, you know, one of the questions I get asked, and um, in this six hundredth episode, this is probably as good a time as any to talk about it. What, one of the things I get asked a lot is, "Why did you start a podcast?" And like many things in life and in business, it was actually just a a step that advanced something else that we were already doing. And you know, going back to to actually even before. You and I met and you joined the team. One of the things that I was trying to do was to try to 
build what I thought would be a more successful consulting business. So I looked around at other consultants I knew who I thought were kind of ahead of where I was. What I saw was that they were more visible, especially online. They were creating content. And, And in those days, it was blogs. So I thought, well, maybe I should have a blog. And frankly, I didn't know anything about creating a blog. Sitting down and writing blog posts was like not my most favorite thing and not the first thing I was (laughs) going to do. And I thought, well, if I actually want to do this, an easy way might be to hire somebody who's a good writer and knows how to create a blog. And I've hired lots of college students in my career. So I thought, you know, maybe I could find a college student who is a good writer and actually knows how to create a blog. So I, you know, I posted the job on uh, various local university career job boards, which is how you and I met. And specifically, I was looking for, again, somebody who could write and somebody who could, um, who knew how to create a blog. And and you had created a blog. And as a journalism major, you knew how to write. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, it's kind of, it's funny, first of all, to kind of open the time capsule almost a decade later. This is also just really exciting for me because to be the 600th episode on something that I remember when we were doing episode, I don't know, maybe four or something, when podcasts weren't even a thing. Like, it's hard to remember a time when they weren't so omnipresent. They weren't like the air that we breathe on the way to our commute or, you know, just while cooking or anything like that. So it's also just a testament to you getting ahead of the game early. And also, I owe you a huge vote of thanks because that was my first official job that could be considered something, you know, in New York, it wasn't a, a retail job. It was something that felt really professional and kind of gave a real kickstart to building my confidence for working in the, you know, professional capacity for somebody who is, don't you take offense, much older than I am. And it was somebody who was obviously experienced and had a lot of wisdom to offer. So you, you probably don't know how, how much a lot of that has stuck with me especially now as I take on more managerial responsibilities at work and move through my own career. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty cool 10 years since then. Yeah. Yeah. So that is actually really nice to hear. I enjoy being in a role where I can uh, provide some, some help and some guidance and, and some mentorship as well. And, uh, you know, going back to what we actually did together, initially we did, we did create the blog. You knew how to do it. One of the huge benefits that I have learned over the years and and is certainly played out in our case is when you hire a team member to work on something, it is kind of built in accountability because I was forced to give you work all the time. And we came up with a schedule for the blog right at the beginning, which I had no idea how important that was. But in hindsight, I realized that one of the first things you and I did is we said, okay, what's the schedule going to be? So like we built a content calendar. I didn't know what a content calendar was. I didn't know how important it was. But we initially, I believe we we said we were going to create two posts a week. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a number of months actually planning the content, deciding how we were going to do this and doing some of the infrastructure pieces so that we had a website where we could post the blog content. But then once we launched, we were on the same schedule right from the beginning. And that was usually helpful. I see what happens with podcasting that like the average podcaster, I believe, creates something like 12 episodes over six months and then quits. Mm. Which, you know, if you're trying to 
create some um, some following and and create some credibility. If you try it and it's very sporadic and then you quit, that really doesn't help your credibility a whole lot. But if you do it consistently, it's really important. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, gee, it's really impressive that you have, you've created 600 episodes, yet they actually have never listened to any of them. But just knowing the fact that somebody has done something consistently over a long period of time, it, it seems to impress them. Yes. The persistence is its own reward. It, it really is. And um, it's really funny. That I, I wonder how much of the, the warm glow comes from the number and just the, the mere fact of them existing. One thing I remember us doing pretty early on was you know on the to your point of scheduling the posts was well one thing that was really remarkable to me was that you were a, a big proponent of this results only work environment the whole idea of a row and which at this point now is i wonder how novel it seems considering everyone's doing their work remotely but at the time it was i remember feeling quite empowered someone who was 19 or 20 then to have my boss just tell me it doesn't matter where the work gets done as long as it gets done and whatever you feel like is the best way to do it uh, on your time schedule, as long as we meet our own collective calendar, we'll be good. And that was a breath of fresh air. I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> and so the level of freedom and kind of autonomy you're giving me was was really cool. And one other point I wanted to make based on the, the consistency of posting, there's this great kind of like content pyramid I, I have come across in the last couple of years. I think it's from uh, Contently. Basically, you have three levels in this pyramid, the bottom level, is your foundational content. The middle level is your cadence content and the top is your blockbuster content. And the bottom, the foundational content is the stuff where if you don't have that, like a website, you don't exist. It's the collateral, it's the one pagers. The middle is the, the cadence content is the stuff of podcasting, blogging, things that you put out on a regular basis that keeps people aware that you still exist and that you have interesting things to say about what's going on right now with your business or the world. And then the top is things that really set you apart the the, uh, the blockbuster stuff. And you might even call the tippy top the flamethrower content, you know, just in case you want to be a little provocative. So that's always, that's something that has stuck with me over the last few years that seems to apply to what we started doing way back when. Yeah, that's really true. I've never thought about it in this pyramid form. That's actually um, good to know. And, you know, now that I think about it, um, that certainly has been the pattern with um, first the blog and then the podcast. You know, it, it's also, as I think, think back on what what we've done over the last close to 10 years with um, with content as I mentioned the podcast was really a, a step so so you and I first created this blog and then we added another team member Michael shine who helped with um, kind of taking the the blog posts to another level by increasing the frequency and we we went from two posts a week to five, which seemed kind of daunting when Michael first suggested it. But um, we actually tapped into my network, which made it relatively easy to do using text-based interviews. And if you re recall those, we sent out, um, actually, I sent, I think, personal emails to maybe a 100 or 200 people asking them if they wanted to be featured. And then we, we came up with a a template to make it fairly easy to do where we had sort of a base of maybe five questions or so that we would modify for each each guest and then we we posted their responses yeah wow i completely forgot this is these are dusty memories that you're helping me dust off this is cool <laughs> yeah i totally remember this now that you mentioned this and i of course remember working with mike and mike and i are still 
for friends and we, we talk and uh, it's been really cool. And he recently published a book, which which was cool to see. And yeah, the beginnings were a real experiment, I think, for both of us. <laughs> I think we were kind of learning at the same time. And I was getting my sea legs underneath me for what would end up becoming a, like a, a career in journalism, which is still ongoing. And but getting a sense of that, doing things that quickly of getting a sense of turning the, the faucet on and off for writing consistently really prepared me, I think, for the jobs and newsrooms that I would go on to take. So another vote of thanks to you for that. Yeah. So one of the things you're pointing to, Chris, is how important both persistence is and also trying new things at the same time. For sure. Yeah. Do you remember back then how much we were talking about the kinds of stories or posts that we were writing? My sense from looking back now is that we were doing things that felt like we wanted some variety. I remember we did a couple case studies. Uniqlo was one of them, which at the time was a very buzzy new company. Do you remember doing those? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a lot of variety to it. And then the interviewing was also very fun. You took me to a couple of your, you know, clients and we, we spoke, we went to Friends of Firefighters in Red Hook. Remember that? Oh, yeah. We talked to Nancy. Yes. So that was right after Sandy, too. And I think was an, a really kind of profound trip that ended up becoming a conversation. We were in the firehouse in the kitchen. And it was, I still think about it when, you know, I go on runs through Red Hook and pass by their their location. So, yeah, there was a lot going on at that time. And it was, it was cool to see kind of now looking back, like the, the early glimmers of what the podcast has become and all of the other forms that your content's taken because it really has evolved. Oh, it has definitely evolved. Yeah. It's had to adapt how many different times. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I recall, Mike had the idea of doing audio interviews based on a, a survey we had sent out to, um, to our re- our blog readers. And the feedback we got was people wanted greater depth in the, in the interview content. So Mike suggested doing audio interviews. And I, I said to him, audio interviews, what are, the, what are they? How do I do that? And yes, I had listened to podcasts. And frankly, podcasting is really just, it's audio on demand. So like when I meet people that say, I don't know what podcasting is, or I've never listened to a podcast, I say, do you ever listen to the radio? And they always say yes. And I say, well, podcasting is radio on demand. It's like you choose when you're going to listen. But essentially, it's it's the same thing. And and the, you know, the format of the content is, is actually very similar to radio shows. It's just, um, you know, you stream them or you download them at a time when you want to listen as opposed to having to tune in at a cer- certain time when it gets broadcast. But initially, you know, for me, it was a huge step. Um, I had never done anything like it. I didn't know how I would sound. And frankly, I I went back and listened to the first episode as I was preparing to do the, I think it was for our 500th. I included some snippets from some of the early episodes. And um, yeah, I realized I have personally evolved in being able to do a better job as a podcast host. But yeah, taking that first step is, uh, it always seems very daunting. And if if you don't do it, then you're not going to advance. How much for you has it been work versus just a kind of a labor of love because to get to 600 is is uh, really impressive and i think could become daunting if i go into it at zero and think oh i wish i had a 10-year head start (laughs) to do to get to 600 is it even worth getting into podcasting because i mean you couldn't have anticipated in 2012 or 13 what podcasting would become but you kind of attach yourself to a rocket ship in terms of the media platform i mean how do you think about or just advise other people on taking going from zero to one 
I think what's really important is finding your own voice and finding a, a channel that works. So I do think it's important if, if you're a knowledge worker, I think it's important for you to share your ideas, which is, you know, means becoming a thought leader in something, because then you become known. And, and I've actually had a number of podcast guests who have talked about this. I'm thinking about a um, recent podcast episode where we discussed how important it is to be found. And whether you are an employee or you're self-employed or as an entrepreneur running your own sizable organization, one of the most important things to help you with your career and help you in your work so that you achieve financial success is so that people are attracted to your ideas and they want to buy your solutions, however however you're offering your solution, but that they want to become clients. And so creating content is actually one of the primary ways you can do that. So I think what's important is finding the medium that works for you, that is relatively easy for you to use and just going deep in that medium. So for me, I like meeting new people and asking questions, which means an interview-based podcast works really well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, as I said earlier, I sort of stumbled into this particular channel. But once I discovered that it was working for me and I liked it, I decided that I was going to keep doing it. And I created a structure that worked for me, which is having a show, initially one show and then two shows. And for most of the last seven years since we launched, we have produced two episodes a week. So with Smashing the Plateau, for the most part, it was two episodes a week. It was a minimum of one episode a week. And then we cut back to one episode a week and added a second show going solo for the other episode a week. So that kind of cadence has worked well for me. But I think finding your voice and finding the medium that works and just going deep with that one medium is fine. Like, you don't have to be everywhere. I think it's it's really hard to be everywhere. And again, it's like what you said about persistence is important and consistency. So like people ask me about, about content creation, I say, the th- in my opinion, the three most important things are consistency, frequency, and quality, and in that order. So Chris, let's talk a little bit about, you know, since you're no longer part of the Smashing the Plateau team, you know, you graduated from college a number of years ago, you've gone on to do other things in your life, and you have, as you you alluded to, started to advance in your career. Talk a little bit about it. Sure. So I quickly, after graduated, went into working for a health and science news site, and that was still of the, the early 2010s when blogging was kind of the name of the game, and it was volume and quantity and it was about reach and making sure that people saw your work on every single platform possible and that was a really intense few years uh, in the beginning there i think it was a lot of training for a set of skills that have become important over time which is the ability to think clearly in a a storytelling narrative and um, that was a really in hindsight a really good early like first job out of college, especially for a journalist to understand how to master story structure and and all of that really, really quickly. And since then, I've gone to a couple different places in doing both hard up, you know, straight journalism, and then also kind of a lateral move to do editorial content in a more corporate setting. And along the way, made a 
documentary about the spelling bee, which was released on Netflix in the summer of 2020. I was very fortunate about that. It was a passion project that kind of reached the the top. And it's it's a little strange to actually <laughs> achieve your dreams like that, if I can be a little earnest about it. And now... And it's a, it's a great film. I've seen it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a film for everyone. It's called Spelling the Dream. It's about the two-decade trend of Indian American children winning the National Spelling Bee between roughly 1999 and uh, 2018. And these days, I'm a senior editor at Insider, and I oversee a few teams that are very similar to a lot of what, honestly, we were doing uh, back in the day, uh, oversee teams that write about leadership and careers and small business. So right up your alley. Well, congratulations on everything you've achieved. If there's one piece of advice that you can offer about finding your voice and something that you're passionate about and fulfilling it through content creation, what what advice would you offer? My best advice is to look for the intersections. I think it's really hard to become an expert in one thing because typically there are people who have been in that space for forever, or at least much longer than you have if you're just starting out. And they kind of know the lay of the land and it may be intimidating enough that you feel dissuaded from pursuing that, even if you think it's a strength of yours. So I've personally always found value in looking for intersections where two or three or more things intersect in terms of interests and strengths and trying to find the similarities at those intersection points. What what are the kind of the nodes? And for that started in in college, NYU makes journalism majors, at least they did at the time, uh, double major in something. So you have some sort of specialty. And so I picked sociology and have been interested in what people are up to on the macro and micro scale. And a lot of the stories that I've been most proud of that I felt like I've owned the most or just brought the most to over my career have been intersectional in the kind of topics they talk about. So it's it's not just a story about one group of people doing one thing. It's a combination of forces, economic forces, demographic, psychological forces, economic, that all overlap in some way to create this kind of perfect storm. And in hindsight, I shouldn't be surprised that the movie I ended up making, the documentary, was a, a similar intersectional story of uh, immigration and academics and family and a number of other things. And so I think for people that are searching for their niche, it really does require a little bit of like filtering. Instead of saying, what's the, the biggest possible grab for me? What are the things that overlap in a way that is unique to me that nobody else could possibly own or do better? That's actually really great. That's great advice. Chris, for people that want to learn more about you, access any of the great content that you produce or get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? I would say I'm, I'm happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I'm not super active on social media otherwise, but LinkedIn's probably a good place and I'm happy to connect there. Sounds great. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on Smashing the Plateau for our 600th episode, reminiscing a little bit about how we got started and uh, what we did in the early days and uh, filling us in on what you've been up to since then. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks, David. My guest today has been award-winning storytelling expert, Chris Weller. Chris was on our team back in 2014 when we launched Smashing the Plateau, and I'm thrilled to be able to have Chris on the show for our milestone 600th episode. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, 
You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. We've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.